don't think I could ever move back to Germany because like all the stuff is closed on Sundays. It just <laughs> boggles my mind how that's a thing. Yeah, I hate it's it. It's like as well. I was thinking because I'm going to a grocery store after this. Yeah. And I was just like, the grocery store closes, like the one that I normally go to closes at four today. Uh-huh. I was like, God, it's so inconvenient that a grocery store closes at four on Sundays. <laughs> and then I was like, oh my God, but Germany. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just, God, it's just, it's just like absolutely mind boggling. Yeah. Hello everyone and welcome to Serially Hooked. My name is Chris and with me is a secret member of the Death Watch, but psh, don't tell anyone, it's Rashad. What's up? So yeah, we've watched the second half of season two of The Clone Wars. There are Mandalorians here. Yay! Finally. Oh my god, I'm so excited to start getting into them. I knew you, we would come across them at some point, but I'm glad to see that it happened so early. Yeah, and if you're watching along with us, um, just to clarify, we watched episode 12 through 17 of season two, and then the last three episodes, season, episodes 20 through 22. Yeah, so Mandalore, um, do you want to get straight into it? Uh, yeah, I was really excited to to see it. Um, uh, you know, things like the, the dark saber as well. I was like, oh, nice, nice. I now I just imagine what it must must have. Uh, felt like for someone who had watched Clone Wars before watching Mandalorian. Now, now I'm a little bit jealous, to be honest. How amazing that reveal is. Yeah, exactly. And also just, I guess, Mandalorians in general, because as far as I know, you know, Bo-Katan is going to show up eventually and you're, go- you're going to see much more of that world. And I think if you've already re- already been immersed in it because of this series, then the pr- just the premise of you know an entire show surrounding a mandalorian must have been pretty exciting yeah it really kind of it adds a new light to the the live action shows and makes it just so much deeper the entire saga on mandalore is one of the best and most famous arcs of the clone wars series as a whole mm-hmm. so it, it it and it's some of the best quality content so it is great to see it you know come to fruition at the beginning did you overall like the second half of season two <laughs> it's funny you ask that because whilst preparing for this episode i i went through my notes and thought how, which episodes do i actually like there are parts of episodes that i really like but there isn't a single episode where i thought like this as a whole is really good but there and there were also some episodes that i really didn't like I'm very excited that Mandalore is now introduced, but the rest of it, I didn't really like. Even the like parts of the Mandalore episodes themselves. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, that's what I, that's one of my like thoughts. Actually, in in retrospect, I think that um, a couple of these episodes were kind of useless and could have been cut. Um, and as we go through the episodes in particular, all kind of outline why i decided to keep them in there um and uh, while seemingly they don't have maybe a larger connection to bigger arcs but yeah i think especially if we compare to the first half of season two which i think is stronger i think the second half of season two outside of the mandalore plot or the mandalore saga is it takes a step down which is an interesting thing because you think a show especially something like this would get better over time 
but it's really i think because of the anthology format in which you jump timelines and you jump spaces episode to episode the the content can really vary from one episode to the next especially because some of those one-off episodes they can be really interesting but if they are if there are too many of them that don't really have are are connected to the bigger machinations and plot then i kind of develop a sense of fatigue my feelings about the second half of this season are summed up best by the fact that i think my favorite episode here is episode 17 but i also really dislike it because it's too kurosawa one of my general <laughs> impressions definitely especially as we get into the last three uh, into the last three episodes it's like oh we're doing kids again huh oh After yeah <laughs> i forgot about that oh no yeah i mean it was less bad this time because it wasn't just annoying kids it was like i don't know i guess uh militarized clone kids are fine i think they're doing an inter- they're doing an interesting job here of depicting entanglements of the jedi specifically obi-wan and the on the Ma- on mandalore it's really interesting but i just would love a more nuanced depiction of personal and or romantic relationships but i guess that's not the uh, the show for that because of its target audience um and also the depiction of gender roles is very bad here um like the way women are treated i mean i'm gonna get into it as we talk about the uh, the episodes in detail but there were some very icky moments here in my opinion yeah it's interesting you note that i didn't note it at first glance but that's just if i wasn't looking for it and probably i don't know i i take especially with the lower kind of quality episodes of star of clone wars in particular for some reason i just watch them and just like let them glance over me (laughs) because if i look at it too closely it ends up being an exercise in frustration. It, on one hand, it, we shouldn't give it a pass because it is a ki- kids' TV show, um, and I 100% think that we shouldn't. On the other hand, for me, uh, sometimes I just like, I guess maybe the mood I watched this, this, the, these episodes was just like, okay, I just need to get through these, as <laughs> opposed to um, thinking about the larger um, implications of the little details in these episodes. And that's actually, I feel like not me normally yeah also now with hindsight you can definitely see how imperialist the republic is becoming yeah for sure like invading (laughs) invading um mandalore for its own safety quote-unquote is just like wow especially you know the the entire rhetoric of like you know for for the inhabitants sake i think it's like they uh, it's intentional to depict the the empire in that way or the wow the republic as an empire huh. right that's nice. what, because it's like i think that it's really interesting to see the seeds of empire in the republic and to show that oh that's why episode three it was such a s- seamless transition from being a so-called democracy to being an empire because it was an empire already yeah so i i like those um that muddling of the black and white oh the republic was so great and the empire is so bad not really and the way that you do transition is not only with applause 
but it is with a systematic like step-by-step shift from being a representative democracy to being to having imperial tendencies which the republic did have i'm wondering what you think um or what are your initial thoughts about getting introduced to mandalore and the mandalorians i was i mean i had a big smile on my face when it was mentioned that we're going to go there i was quickly distracted by that obi-wan satine subplot because uh it was just really interesting to see that it's not just Anakin who has trouble with letting go of bonds. Uh, I thought that, that that was a really interesting insight. I think it's an amazing character development for Obi-Wan to see him having the same struggles that Anakin does. And it's Obi-Wan loves this, loves like Satine, right? Yeah. And it is an amazing kind of, retcon to a certain extent of obi-wan's character and adding so much depth to him and showing that when he understands because in episode three of the movies he knows that something's going on between anakin and Padme. he 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 knows what's Mm -hmm. happening yeah and he lets it happen to a certain extent because he also understands the desire and the feeling of being in love despite being a jedi and it is just such an amazing thing to think about as a a as a what if of course but b as what does this mean for his relationship with anakin and also his role and, and his commitment to the jedi order i guess it's just a nice I, as you said it's a very nice i would argue that it's actually one of the most significant things that does happen in this mandalore series yeah and i think it is uh, across those three episodes this relationship is quite a roller coaster it doesn't just uh, evolve into a specific direction, but it has ups and downs throughout. And I think that's just a very realistic depiction on of relationships in general. Uh, again, when we talk about dialogue, that's where I have issues and like behavior, especially by Obi-Wan um, toward, towards Satine. That was something that I found just really annoying. But yeah, just uh, spending so much time on Mandalore. It's fu- it's funny watching watching these episodes after, you know, watching Mandalorian because we just we're just so used to the armor and thinking of the Mandalorians as having the armor on constantly. Uh, to see the Mandalorians here barely wearing the armor, and actually the only people who wear the the armor are bad guys. Um, was just a really interesting experience for me specifically. And I mean, I did wonder, I mean, it must be, you know, Din is a member of the, ch- is like a child of the watch. And I, I must assume that this refers to the death watch, right? No, it's a separate thing. What? Yeah. Oh my God. This, this is very confusing. Yeah. It's not the death watch. Sorry. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Why, why are they called like watch? That's namespace pollution there, right there. Yeah, well, it's not, it could refer to it. It's not clear, but from what I understand is that the Watch was a cult that evolved after things that haven't happened yet on Mandalore. Oh, okay, I see. Essentially, it's not, the Watch doesn't emerge in the Clone Wars or in Rebels or anything, Mm. but it doesn't, it is a separate cult, religious cult that kind of evolves later on. Because it has more connections to, oh, we want to make sure that we keep our Mandalorian past, right? Mandalorian uh, militaristic past, as opposed to 
something, a political faction like the Death Watch. Mm-hmm. And also something that I was wondering, are the, men, are the members of the Death Watch, are they wearing Beskar? Because in the one of the fight scenes with Obi-Wan, he basically punches them. And I feel like if they were wearing Beskar armor, he would definitely hurt his fists quite a lot. Yeah, that's unclear at this point. Um, I would assume, I would actually assume so. And it's a like a, that's a problem with the continuity in the the episodes. It's not clear, right? Because mm. normally, like, so Mandalore Mandalorians inherit their. This will all all become more clear later, I guess. But they inherit the the armor from their families essentially, and it tends to be Beskar. Um, even like Boba's armor, for example, is Beskar. So these kinds of things are a little bit you know fuzzy in this mm. episode for sure but yeah you're right i noticed that as well it's like how can you just punch a guy who has beskar and he'll like fly back like it's nothing <laughs> exactly. you know i mean he could just be using the force but i think that that would have been accompanied by some sort of sound effect or gesture um i actually really enjoyed the banter between obi-wan and satina in the beginning but you know throughout it gets pretty icky um just talking about that thing maybe you know at the end when they're almost they're close to death basically and they declare their love for each other <laughs> and the traitor senator says like i don't believe this and i just thought oh, yeah me too buddy yeah and in in the last of the mandalore episodes where we're on coruscant's on, on coruscant Obi-Wan keeps on grabbing satine's hand all the time to stop to stop her from going somewhere or get her to talk to him which she doesn't lo- want to do obviously and i just thought that's like very aggressive behavior uh so obi-wan should probably keep his hands to himself they are the classic case of like a lover's quarrel throughout this entire part right and they fight and they argue and um in the way that the closest of lovers can right mm-hmm. and it, it it does cross the line in some cases for sure one thing i'd want to ask you about is the political situation on mandalore i mean clearly the death watch are terrorists in a way that is reflective of you know terrorism in the you know in the mid 2000s right mm-hmm. um and i'm wondering what do you think about the the situation with death watch on mandalore mandalorians trying to maintain peace um and then also obviously the imperialistic intervention of the republic on mandalore one so one thing that really struck me during this entire mandalore uh arc of these three episodes is that the it everything happened very quickly so no there so there's this uh this terrorist organization but then there's an but then everything escalates really quickly and the the republic is very quick to intervene and i thought i i was wondering whether that's just a problem with the pacing and the format of the show or whether that is just a sign of the republic already or let's say certain people in the republic already hatching plans for this way before obi-wan arrives in mandalore i think it's more the pacing of the show to be honest 
that's my read on the situation um and the fact that they they have clone troop like clone battalions ready to deploy essentially anywhere in the galaxy and will redivert them if necessary um but i think that it it is it does seem rushed for sure mm-hmm. um but it is interesting yeah I, I see what you mean, um, but I, I don't think it's a matter of... I don't think that, they, that the Republic had intentions or preconceived intentions to try and uh, take over Mandalore. Uh, I mean, but that's also we don't know, because it is obvious that, that um, Palpatine wants to sow seeds of the, of war and warring factions everywhere, right? So that's just another part of the shadows that we actually we as even the audience don't see of the star wars larger plot i mean it's really interesting i i like <clears throat> mandalore um is additional also because of it is one of the few places where we get into the nitty-gritty of the politics over a longer period of time so it is interesting to see all these different individual characters and factions that evolve within this the planet I'm less enamored by what happens on Coruscant um, and even the yacht or whatever the, the transport that they're on going to Coruscant is, is not as exciting to me. Um, and so I think of the three episodes, it's the, the first episode in my mind is the strongest mm-hmm. and the latter two kind of lower in quality episode by episode. I like when Mandalore stuff is happening on Mandalore. <laughs> when it gets muddled by other stuff, it yeah. gets a little bit less interesting or just the quality drops in terms of what are we seeing? What is the negotiations happening? I do like, obviously, the imperialistic undertones of the Republic, as we mentioned, which is interesting for sure. The One of my favorite things about this this entire three-episode arc is when Satine and, uh, is pointing out to Obi-Wan about the the hypocrisy of being a peacekeeper warrior essentially so fighting for peace is essentially like a hypocritic hypocritical statement and i like that she, well she questions he says that to anakin in episode four fifth sorry episode 13 um but in episode 14 she fights and pushes back on obi-wan's you know clearly peddled narrative of we are peacekeepers we are we belong on the front line and she calls him out on his BS, basically. And that's a really cool questioning of that. And I think you had, in a previous conversation, said that, oh, it feels weird that the, the Jedi are generals, right? Yeah. And this is that calling. This is her calling attention to that weirdness, essentially. And then it's an unnatural position for, quote unquote, peacekeepers to be in. Yeah, I, li- I like the uh, the fact that this this uh, concept of you know peacekeepers and warriors is being challenged every once in a while we had that with the lerman uh, for example and i thought i just thought that that might have might be a one-off but it just comes back and i really like it because it is such a it's so important for the jedi in their in their own idea of themselves yeah i like that this series doesn't just isn't afraid to pull punches against the Jedi, I guess. 
it's poignant to think that this show is called the Clone Wars, and it's mostly mm. it's a lot about the wars themselves, right? And the Jedi's place within them. This is not specifically about the Jedi, and although I think that personally that the Jedi are what makes the war interesting, but um, it, it's good to see other aspects or other perspectives out there that kind of shine a light on the issues within the Jedi Temple. The point that you made about the Mandalorians, sort of the armor being a little bit confusing with Obi-Wan fighting them, I think that's that's correct. But also, I think it's clear that they are a better class of warrior than the typical antagonists to the Jedi. So they, it's, they disarm Obi-Wan really easily and beat him really easily at the beginning when they ambush him. Um, it, it takes a lot more effort. And obviously, Obi-Wan outduels uh, Pre Vizsla um, and disarms him. <clears throat> Previsla is just like a sore loser uh, when he loses that duel with Obi-Wan and just like, you guys get him. <laughs> yeah, that was just, <laughs> you definitely overreached here and now you need your buddies to fix it. That, that yeah, was, well, of course, because uh, he thinks he's hot shit, but he's not yeah. really. He does this trope of the villain giving the hero back his weapon so they can have a fight where the heroes usually win. And yeah, that was just a big mistake on his part. He should have just killed Obi-Wan, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think that actually tracks with Mandalorian culture as well. Mm. And a Mandalorian sense of superior it's like a under it's like a an underpinned sense of superiority towards the Jedi, that we are better warriors, that we can beat them all the time under on our terms, essentially. And there's this odd sense of honor with Mandalorians in that way that at least when he first approaches the conflict, he does it in that uh, by giving him the lightsaber back because otherwise it would be a kind of a dishonorable kill in some fashion. But then in the end, he just he does renege and send his buddies to beat him up in the uh, like when it all comes to set because he's you know it, it's interesting. His character is really fascinating because he is someone who wants power over everything wants to but still and and glorifies mandalore above all else and it's a really interesting position for him to be in as you justify something that you are not really uh a good representative of and neither is i mean satine Kreese is not a great representative of traditional mandalorian culture as well she kind of transitions mandalore in a different direction um so it's an interesting you know he glorifies mandalore in a romanticized past but then doesn't have the strength to actually step up and be that leader that mandalore needs uh, it also helps him advance his own power grab, right? Um, the question, the un another question that comes up is: Is neutrality in a world or like galaxy engulfing conflict really possible? Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting question to think about. Is if you just want to say to yourself, "Is that you know, can you really do that?" And it m brings to m it brings for me to mind nations in the Cold War that wanted to maintain yeah. their neutrality. I was just gonna say that, yeah. No, yeah, it's it's a really interesting place to be. And we find to a certain extent, all despite the end result of this sort of being that the Republic doesn't take over Mandalore, it's not essentially possible to maintain that sense of neutrality. And it's a futile effort to some extent. 
you know there there was also this this group of basically independent nations i mean the literal third world countries i guess you know um that were not allied with either the us or the ussr uh i think on some level even if you're not joining in in like a war scenario but there are obviously <clears throat> there are obviously other avenues such as economy uh, and culture where i think on those levels as well might be tricky but that's also yeah that's more on the real world side <laughs> but yeah i think that's really interesting that we have a like a parallel here the two worlds in which we encountered people in charge who question the jedi in their role as peacekeepers and warriors are also can't help but have their worlds drawn into this conflict and i don't know if that is going uh, is ever going to happen in the uh in the subsequent seasons but i would actually really like it if there was a scenario where th this exact thing happened but they actually don't end up uh, joining the republic but joining the separatists though i guess this this uh show just really implies that nobody would join the separatist out of uh, their own volition at least if it's not ruled by someone despotic i, I think one of the interesting things is that the show will go to to muddle that story a little bit which is mm -hmm. good um but as of yet as of as of the cases now that's um, for sure the for sure sort of the depiction of a the, the separatists in that way and i'm not a huge fan of what happens um on as she goes to investigate the 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 doctored video on coruscant i do like seeing yeah. the lower levels of coruscant every time i get to see <laughs> different parts of coruscant it's interesting to me mm -hmm. and that's going to be a repetition of what i say throughout the entire show <laughs> just because it's you know it's a cool city vibe that we want to kind of explore uh yeah you don't just want to see the stupid senate building all the time Exactly. You also want to see how the people are living. Yeah, even if it's only in the view of our own characters that we like. Yeah, sure. Um, so next episode, we have episode 15, um, Senate Murders. I'm going to say at the front, I think this is my least favorite episode that we've watched so far. I can't think of anything right now. I'm going to say that probably about one episode every single every single yeah. time. But um, in this in this sequence, it mm -hmm. is for sure the worst episode. The, the one interesting thing is that we get a little bit of uh we we get a detail of Pat and Patmate's development and that we meet her like someone who she refers to as her mentor unfortunately he's the one who dies um so that's um, that's not good i decided to include this episode largely because i think it was important for us to include a padme episode that doesn't include anakin yeah right and um to highlight her prowess or her ability within the senate context by herself so uh, and even though the quality of the episode is a little bit less it does have some seeds of value with regards to padme uh, we also have this really interesting criticism of you know padme as being basically unpa unpatriotic which of course of course, just reflects the 2000s and the Iraq and Afghanistan war and how everybody, were, every critic, which there weren't that many of, uh, were... By this time, there were a significant but, Yeah, by this time. But I mean, like, it's reminiscent of, you know, 
just a few few years into the war, like like say mid two thousands, maybe. I would actually say that even into the where this time period, maybe not a, a, as late as twenty ten, but um, to be accused of being non patriotic in the United States context for not supporting the war is is still something war was still something that is typical, right? And the fact that the debates about this entire debate was about creating new clone troopers, which is essentially a metaphor for the United States voting to send more troops to, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq. So it's, it's not really subtle in any way. No, but I'd still liked it here, here. Uh, like that, that was an interesting level. And it's, I think it's very true in history. Again, we can also talk about the cold war and how, you know, there, there was this, this really like this kind of argument that is just poison for any debate where it's basically you're this you know you're either with us or you're for you're either for us or you're against us and that way you people don't really have a good make themselves very vulnerable when they're attacking a government because then you're automatically discredited as unpatriotic or maybe even an agent of agent of the quote-unquote other side maybe i should go into the things that i didn't like about this episode and then you can probably add on to this the worst thing about this episode for me is this stupid investigator who is just yeah really condescending he's i thought i thought he was supposed to be a joke but he just acts this way throughout and he's like uh he appears quite a lot also, no, never in a way that is actually, actually significant. Um, I don't think. How could an investigator speak to, to um, senators senator that, way? that way? That's yeah. that's just that boggles my mind. Also, so the I think the scene that just killed it for me was when the investigator is, uh, you know, is introduced and he says like, you, you know, is. Uh, did he have any enemies? Maybe somebody who would kill him is just like, oh, come on. This is such a trope. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, that on, all on top of the fact that, like, he's just talking down. Like, he, it could be construed that he's talking down to them because, you know, they are women and he yeah. is this, you know. Yeah, he's also incredibly chauvinistic. That's true. Yeah, um, it's not great. It's not a great look. Also, the fact that it's Lolo is just very obvious very early on and she's it's just also like i don't like it when um investigations are solved basically because the criminal just did not did something stupid essentially it's like she overplayed her hand and decided to do something silly but and that essentially all meant that she didn't like that they solved the case they didn't do anything right to actually solve the case they didn't actually find a clue or use any like deduction at all no. And it just wasn't a great um, investigative series. I, guess. Yeah. I mean, not everything can be knives out, especially not a 20-minute TV show. So, um... But it can try. I do like the punch that Padme does throw huh. at the yeah. end. I'm just like, yeah, all right, you get it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Because like, all, all things considered, she is really tough. And she has a lot of strength. I mean, even when the assassin goes to shoot her, she runs after the assassin. Yeah. And that's like a really nice um depiction of her character 
it just shows her agency a little bit more and it's it's nice um but one thing actually that i also wanted to mention because we've talked about it previously is the the lack of grief because sure we get this one scene with ono's casket but it doesn't really there is no time to grieve in a way and that, that's something that Padme almost says verbatim and she's like yeah we can grieve later we need to solve this murder a that's that's not realistic and b it's one of my biggest criticism criticisms of this series so far yeah i think it's a partially because it's directed towards children and you don't want you you don't want to be um or they don't want to be um harping on the grief too much and the death so oh, people are dying but it's just kind of gloss over it and i think that's also partially of the medium being a 20 minute tv show mm-hmm. um and yeah because otherwise just... like 25 percent of your show is going to be about grief <laughs> exactly especially with all the murders that happen in this yeah. show. <laughs> i think you know people underestimate children Anyway. One thing that I would like to end, uh, maybe maybe end on on this episode, mm-hmm. is that I do like the foreshadowing when Palpatine is telling, talking to Padme, and saying that the clone army is the only way to peace. Yes, I like that. And you know what he's thinking in the back of his mind. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, they are. We need more of these. They are going to be the way that we eliminate the Jedi and actually create my empire. And it's a really nice foreshadow. So yeah. there are things, even within an episode, that is less than stellar. There are little threads of interesting foreshadow and character development that have value in this episode. Yeah, I think uh, the Chancellor is one of the highlights as well in this series because obviously we know that he's the bad guy and you can, def- with hindsight, it's all there, of course. You can just see it, what he's scheming. But I think it's subtle enough that, you know, it's very believable that the people right there in the scene don't see it and yeah that's what i i mean that's also probably the best part of the prequels is the, is the chancellor so yeah for sure and if especially if you compare him to like masameda who's like who is really over the top and aggressive and imperialistic in a way and he then by contrast seems diplomatic and friendly and in he plays the part really well and for some milliseconds sometimes we forget that he is actually <laughs> the, um darth sidious and you know for all the as you said the problems with the villains in star wars we have to remember he is the villain yeah he is the big bad and he's he the puppet master good. yeah all right so episode 16 cat and mouse um and I'd like to say quickly, I guess I'll have to rationalize why I included this one as well, because it seems completely one off. And literally the only reason why I decided to include this was it it is the first episode in the continuity in terms of the order. It actually comes first of all the episodes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And that's not apparent at all, really. But mm. um, it is the earliest episode in the timeline of Clone Wars. I... I maybe wouldn't go so far as to say I I liked the episode, but I enjoyed watching it. It was fun. Um, there were some plot holes in it. For the, uh, for example, the fact that the shield needs to be regenerated after the attack is something that a tactical genius like that admiral should probably know. 
um or keep in mind when he's hatching his plans oh 100 percent. yeah yeah i i really i really liked it i mean okay the the general is a spider that's i actually like him other than the teeth yeah, thing absolutely has a nice like deep voice it's a nice different character it's cool yeah uh, i i just realized again you know starship design is always great in star wars i really like the the way the ships of the the different ships of the separatists look in particular i rolled my eyes a little bit at the the callback to episode four the movie you know help us general kenobi <laughs> you are our only hope yeah um but it wasn't so obvious that i, I actually w- like it it's whatever it's on the side it doesn't yeah. like it's not a it doesn't come in a climactic moment or anything like that and it's not as obvious as the i have a bad feeling about this that just surfaces every couple of episodes um one thing i do i re- really like the obi-wan anakin relationship in this episode mm-hmm. i yes. find them really funny and i have my favorite line and i actually laughed out loud um was when um obi-wan says anakin says anakin you might remember that your mission and it's just like he, anakin says oh you might and just hangs up on him yeah <laughs> yeah that was nice or also one of the cl- the one of the clone one of the clones says to the new guy basically yeah there's always more action when you're with general skywalker just keep yeah. that in mind i really yeah. like that as well and yeah i was i didn't know whether anakin would attack the ships for example i didn't i really i was 50 50 on that yeah and it's really interesting to see um anakin just in action in such yeah. a way that he's so likable <laughs> he just yeah and that, character. That's, that's the fun thing about this series as well again giving us so much more backstory and you know you actually see him being a great pilot here yeah and i think also it's important that you get the responses as well mm-hmm. so it's he does something amazing and then trench is like hmm no clone could have done this yeah that, i like Je- that jedi like right that. so it has to it it needs to be reinforced not only by what we see but what the characters talk about and what they see on the show itself Mm -hmm. so in that case it's a really strong um performance all right okay so um episode 17 um bounty hunters and uh, obviously the first title card that comes in the episode is that it's in the memory of akira kurosawa and it is uh, essentially a one-to-one ode to Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. I I kind of missed that title card. Oh, you did? No, the yeah. first thing comes up in red saying, in memory of Akira Kurosawa. Uh, and this is their um, essential, you know, given how much uh, Kurosawa's films influenced George Lucas personally and yeah. Star Wars in general, uh, even up until today, essentially. Um <laughs> Q2 Mandalorian. Exactly. Um, this is the episode where they decide to make a uh, an ode to Seven Samurai, where there are seven warriors who train and help protect the village. Uh, from the band of, I didn't um, even I didn't even catch that. that oh, you did it! It's them. so overt. Ah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I just I just very quickly knew that that's what it's going to be plot wise, but I never thought about it that it's just seven. Yeah. So it is. And at one point, there is a line where he says, there are seven of you. Yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah. So actually, uh, like, this episode um, is, again, a one-off, not really connected to the large story. But because of its 
overt connection to Kurosawa, I think it's important to include as this connection. And once you realize that it's, oh, it's actually very, very, very intentional and on purpose, it gives it a kind of different meaning, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, but I, th I have to say the things that I was most excited by was A, seeing a Razorcrest type ship and also that Hondo's back. Yes, I love Hondo Onaka. He's like the best. <laughs> He's And also like if you consider, I don't know if you would consider him a villain or not, but if he if you do consider him a villain, I think he's one of my favorite villains in the entire series. Yeah, I think I think he's a little bit ambiguous. He's more on the evil side. I mean, he not on the evil side, but he is you know, he is about to kill Anakin basically, and I think he's he's just he's good. He's just one of the more ambiguous characters we've encountered so far and i really like him for that you know in the in the in episode 22 when he's he's there as well um he is you know he kind of helps the jedi which i liked so he he always he doesn't have a team he's not rooting for anyone he's just rooting for hondo you know yeah he's great so yeah i really liked it uh i i have to say i really like i mean this is, might sound weird but i really like the looks of the Felutians. Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah, they're nice. Better than the Lermans. So we have improved. Yeah, yeah for sure. I thought that they ha are like designed really well. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know they're designed. It just seems weird to say that. Um, yeah, I have to say my favorite bounty hunter was the really samurai looking one with the, yeah, of with course. the He's hat. The best. He's of yeah. course the best. Embo, I think his name is. Um, yeah, I mean... I love everything Kurosawa, so of course I also like this uh, episode as soon as I got over my initial reaction, which, which was, oh no, not another one. Yeah, but it's like, it's so overt here. Like, yeah. the crop they're growing is essentially rice. It is, like, they're taking the share of the rice, essentially. The music in the background has, like, Japanese influence as well. It is obviously the seven of them protecting and also the fact that they're training them and the attack happening on two fronts and yeah <laughs> defense and it's just yeah. it's so yeah no that i didn't think about it that they also they even have the map scene yeah yeah they yeah, have the whole thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah nice it is i mean i guess kurosawa summer. didn't have any tanks but you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think this one is just like, oh, fun to watch, especially if you know Seven Samurai. But yeah, so um, I don't know if you have anything else to say nah. before we move on, but um, it's just nice to see. Oh, one thing that I like to see um, in this episode, and we get it, is when Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Ahsoka are all together. Yes. Because you get to see a different dynamic of them. It's just whenever you have the, the, the interesting... What I like about having more Jedi to play with is that you and i think they become more streamlined as we move forward right and at the first like at the beginning of the season you had a couple ancillary ones and you do throughout the entire process but between like the six or seven that are the main ones maybe up to ten the, the different combinations of them are really interesting so when you get obi-wan and anakin by themselves it's interesting anakin and ahsoka of course that all three then plo koon and ahsoka and like there's just like these different iterations and i think they're fascinating to bring out different aspects or different um you know characteristics yeah for sure uh i i especially like obi-wan's and ahsoka's relationship as well mm -hmm. because um i i, I mean 
it's it's also very ambiguous because I think Obi-Wan oscillates between respecting her as like, you know, you know, of course she's younger and she's in training, but she he also is a is a good mentor and not not on the other side not really taking her seriously sometimes when she especially when she's hot-headed. But yeah, I also like how that relationship influences their in relationships to Anakin, especially from Obi Wan's point of view. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think Anakin is more has an older brother relationship to Ahsoka. Yeah, and a, a like, or even maybe a father relationship. And Obi Wan is either the grandfather or just the father to the two of them in some ways. It's just it is this weird relationship, you know, where there is a semblance. There's more reverence there. Um, as opposed to Anakin and Obi Wan, and uh, and Anakin and Ahsoka, but it's still like, it's a very interesting nuance their relationship. I really do like it. And one thing I really, really like is that they both understand Anakin so well. Yeah, absolutely. And the, no two people in the galaxy probably understand Anakin better than Ahsoka and Obi Wan. Well said. Well said. So we have um essentially the Boba Fett series with Episode Twenty, Death Trap, Episode Twenty One. Um, R2 Come Home and Episode 22 Lethal Trackdown. I have now four depictions of Boba Fett. One is the original trilogy. One is him, him as a child in the prequels or I guess just Episode 2. And then we have uh, Boba Fett and the Mandalorian series and now it's now in my in my timeline now we, ha- we have him in Clone Wars and this is by far my least favorite. Oh yeah, it is the worst one for sure. I mean, he doesn't say anything in the prequels, which is why he's <laughs> good. Um, and the other two, he's an adult. But, and I think the best one, to be honest, of all of them is The Mandalorian Season 2. Yeah. And he doesn't even say anything in, in, in the original trilogy. Yeah, true. Is this the first time we really hear Boba Fett? Yeah. It's also amazing that for someone who has like probably a screen time of like five minutes throughout three movies, he is well, like one of the f- like like a fan favorite. It's incredible, it's really, really. I think, I mean, it must just be the Mandalorian armor. Yeah, uh, it's for sure, originally at least. And people love bounty hunters as like characters in their shows. Yeah, So. Yeah, and he is the best bounty hunter, right? I mean, in Star Wars, yes. Yeah, no, in Star Wars, I mean, he's he is like technically the best bounty hunter. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would of course say Spike Spiegel is the best bounty hunter, but that's just me. But we're talking about this universe. I know. <laughs> anyway. Um, but also, it's interesting to think that... And and there was a comment in episode um, 12 of this series that we watched in which they mention Jango Fett being just a common bounty hunter and not a proper Mandalorian, yes. which then tracks really well with the, um, the animosity between Bo-Katan and... Um, Boba in the Mandalorian show. So it's a really interesting thing is that like he isn't really Mandalorian. He is kind of fake Mandalorian wearing Mandalorian armor in some ways, even though he inherited it from his father. I have a lot of problems with these episodes. I mean, I like the last one the most, but the other, t- the first two I don't really like. Well, the last one I like it because it's Hondo. Yeah, my first my first note of for episode twenty is oh no, children. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I have to say it's it's very strange to me that there's still bullying among clone cadets. Like, how does that work? Why yeah, are they right. bullying each other? Well, it kind of makes sense though. Like, even children are like evil <laughs> in every way. That's so true. Yeah. It's not you know just just because they have the same genetic code doesn't mean that there's not going to be a hierarchy between them. I don't know. I found it really. I mean, so first of all, I have to say. I really like the twist that this kid is Boba Fett. You can definitely tell that there's something strange about this kid, but you don't know what's going on until it's revealed. And I was like, yeah, that's nice. I like that. The reveal uh, is the best part of this episode. Yes, and... by far, by far. How? But how, you know, how come nobody noticed Boba missing from the group, especially the kid right next to him in the in this lineup? It's maddening. The logic and so, some of the stuff that so makes so annoying. Sense. Yeah, and also, how does Mace not perk up when he sees one of them by himself? That doesn't make any sense. You're right. As Boba is infiltrating, it is very odd, and I don't think it's well done in terms of like, oh, some people notice that he's by himself, and that's weird. Other people just look look around, look, you know, turn the other corner or something like that, and it's just. You know, I actually kind of do like the moment where he's like, he's at the door and the door is open and he's about to trigger it, but he doesn't. And it's like that little cat and mouse game there. That little bit is kind of interesting. Yeah, I liked his relationship to the other clones. Yeah. So the fact that he doesn't want any, like the the clone troopers to be collateral damage. Yeah, I, I also like the implications for the clones because they... They naturally trust him because he's one of them, which is something that one of the boys is pointing out when they're in the, yeah, in, in the escape pod. No, I think it's also it, it's when the boy, or oh, sorry, when the soldier um, tells him, don't shoot, like, we're brothers. That kind of inherent trust and belief that this person is good because they are the same. But in reality, that's not the case at all. I will say that the music in the episode 20 is good. Mm-hmm. I do like the music that's like playing, especially as, you know, Aura Sing in Slave One appears. And it's just, it's well, like, you know, when you think about it, close your eyes, if you close your eyes and watch this, it's a good episode. <laughs> and you mute the dialogue. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a good, the music in this episode is, is very noteworthy. Um, and one thing I do like is the subtle animosity between the military and the Jedi yes. in Bridge, where it's like, unlike you, Jedi, I'm going to go down with my ship. So it is an interesting difference between the two, right? which I find I want them to tease more out. Hmm. Yeah, I, it took me a second to understand why, to remember why Boba wants to kill Mace. But eventually it clicked, and I was like, "Oh yeah, of course he killed his well, father." Well, they also said it like ten. Yeah, times. but I mean, for, to be fair though, I did I did remember before that scene. <laughs> I but, like though how they withhold that information, right? Yeah, it's for not sure. That they just lay out at the very beginning. Same thing yeah. with Bubba's name; they don't automatically spell it out to you, right? Yeah. I, I have to say though, so this whole thing kind of sheds a bad light onto onto Mace. Uh, and also, I, I it didn't make sense to me how he knew Boba's name. That that didn't make sense. I to think me at that's all. from the records of Camino uh, uh, when Obi Wan went and he like had his uh, report, right? Yes. So there's information on Django and Boba, right? Because yeah, the Kaminoans made Boba. 
but going on to the second episode there like i actually like this episode a little bit it's not my favorite episode obviously but i like <clears throat> in terms of the r2 centric episodes we're skipping 90 percent of them but this is like one of the ones that we do keep because of its larger ties to like you know different story line and it highlights really the relationship of R2 and Anakin in such a way that like they ha- it shows how unique R2 is and how much trust he has into like how much trust he has from Anakin and how valuable that becomes. It's a little bit unrealistic how much he can do as a droid. Really? <laughs> yes. Um and it's a little over the top in that way, but this like the undertone of it I really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just have to say, you know, Mace not trusting R2 is a little bit too repetitive for my taste. Um, but I like the the contrast between how Mace treats R8, which is basically just as a servant, and Anakin, who has an actual relationship with R2. Again, going back to the theme of Anakin having attachment with, you know, too many people and also inanimate objects uh but so i like that aspect but it's just it was a little bit too much yeah well fair i i I don't like this episode is a little bit too much for sure um but you know we have to there are so many droid centric stuff in this that we're not we're kind of glossing over or not even watching and it's interesting to get a sense of this because you know these droids are pets for more for, yeah, for lack for sure. of a term, right? They are they have pets a, or servants or whatever, yeah. Yeah, it depends on the person, right? Exactly. So like if you treat your pet well, they are like a lifelong friend. If you don't, they are a servant, essentially. And they're there on your own terms. So it it's it's a way by which we measure the value or the the heart of our characters is through droids. This is something that has happened throughout all of Star Wars. It's oh, how do you know someone's good? How do they treat a droid? Then you know that they're good. And Mace, for all of his talents and for his stature on being the Jedi, he, in this moment, is not our hero, right? As to the, to as much as much as Anakin is, and he's not as relatable as as much as Anakin is. One other question I have on that episode is the like, how fast can you get to Coruscant? I was just going to mention that. Yeah, that that just what? sounds it seems so unrealistic. Like, I get maybe you can through hyperspace lanes you can get to Coruscant in a day, less than a day, maybe a few hours. And then you have to then get from your ship to the Jedi, like, planning. Which, which probably road. takes R2 about as long as the, tr- uh, the trip through hyperspace. Yeah, probably. And then they have to, mi- like, they have to mobilize a fleet and then a ship yeah. like, full of hundreds and hundreds of clones and fly yeah. back. It just, eh, the timing is a little off. I think it would have been fine if they had at least maybe made it seem like Anakin and Mace were stuck for days. You know, they yeah, were stuck exactly. like a little bit longer and then maybe they were like struggling with thirst or hunger or something like that. Just to, like give us a sense of time passing because mm. it made it seem that they went and came back in the same day. Yeah, especially because that just is juxtaposed with the with the actions of the bad guys that just seem to, like everything happens just in time so, you know, they can be saved and... Oh yeah, oh, the man. end coincidence of like they picked them up just as the bridge was falling yeah. and collapsing. Ugh. Give me a break. Yeah, that was really stupid. Okay, so episode twenty-two, lethal trackdown. I really like this episode for two reasons specifically. 
one Hondo's bag. That's obviously great. But also, I really like Plo Koon. Yes, uh, I had the same note. Plo Koon <laughs> is great here. I was so... Because I had... Obviously, you see him in the Jedi on the Jedi Council all the time, and you have that brief scene when he gets killed in, during so Order 66. Sad. And I had always been wondering about him specifically, maybe because, going back to something we mentioned a few episodes ago, you all of the Jedi that are killed during the, in that scene, except for Plo Koon, could be played as Jedi in Star Wars Battlefront 2. And so yeah. I was always cu more curious about him because the others I felt like I knew. Um, so I was really excited to see him play a bigger role here. Yeah, I, I like the, you know, it's uh, the, the relationship between Aura and Hondo is interesting. We, uh, I really like Hondo can, you know, this, uh, I always like this humor that also we came across a few episodes ago where Mace and Obi-Wan said to Anakin, like, yeah, we know it's a trap. We're just gonna, we're just gonna go, go right there anyway. Um, and when, uh, I forget who, yeah, when Plo Koon and Hondo make their way to the bar and they're just like, yeah, obviously, you know, <laughs> she, like, this is kind of a setup and uh yeah, it's like why are you telling me this and it's like so you know i'm like not on her side um so yeah I hondo is just the best um and i think a really crucial scene here is that aura leaves boba after you know talking to plo and or like rather fighting with plo and ahsoka uh and you can clearly see boba has some abandonment issues which is natural <laughs> Well, after yeah. seeing your father yeah. being killed um yeah and you're like all on your own basically in the universe yeah it's no i think i love this episode i think it's a really good one especially because it also characterizes hondo as someone who really cares about honor which you can kind of see in the previous episodes to some extent but really shines here right yeah, exactly. So a little side note. I love that you have taken to Hondo so well because Hondo <laughs> is one of my favorite characters and he's also well known as one of the best characters of the Clone Wars. And mm. it's just, it's really nice to see that you have latched onto him so fast too. Yeah, I, I I was really impressed that that was one of the first really heartfelt scenes, I think, so far is when uh, Hondo tells uh, Boba not to seek revenge because it's uh, what what your father would have wanted. Exactly. Is, is the line. And I just thought that that, that was very impressive. And well done. Well voiced. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, you could e easily say it in a way that just is almost comical. That's just over the top. Or you yeah. just roll your eyes at. But he, I think he just strikes the exact note you need to strike. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I like I have nothing else to say. I really like um Aura Singh actually as a bounty hunter as well. Mm -hmm. Her antenna yeah. thing is kinda cool. Like <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> it's really useful at the very least. You don't have to like have an extra communicator. Um and I, I think that you know, when you think of two plans coming against one another, like you want to see that both plans are thought of, thought through at least somewhat. And I think that she's thought things through she's smart she's not an idiot that like the jedi can just kind of trample over 
So it's nice to see her in that way, right? I mean, that that's that's what makes for the more interesting episodes if you don't just have this asymmetry between the Jedi and everyone else. Yeah, and I think it's really good. So this is a perfect example of that. And um, she's ruthless. I, I just like Aura Singh as a character as well. Um, yeah, I I always like going back to Florum. Florum is just a cool scene and setting. Uh, mm-hmm. This pirate hangout with on this desertish planet, or maybe rocky planet is a better way to put it. Um, but it's nice. And then also again we see the underworld of uh, or lower levels of Coruscant, right? Mm-hmm. Where we go to this club and these basically all these people on Molly, and or other. <laughs> Um, or other drugs right so it's just a great um scene and i like the the message of subtlety that plo Koon Mm -hmm. tries to impart onto ahsoka and again these are more lessons that ahsoka is learning how to be subtle and sneak through and not always charge head first and it's clear that like you know she's basically anakin 2.0 in some ways Mm -hmm. and plo Koon basically says you've inherited many great things but you've also inherited a lack of subtlety and that's so true because anakin is also not subtle he thinks he can solve everything with his lightsaber and so she can ahsoka yeah it's really an interesting meta point that the lesson she learns about subtlety is more subtle than the one she learned about patience um (laughs) yeah i really i I really like the uh, the scene in the bar yeah that's nice the the eavesdropping we learned something about the force like another kind of force power and also the fight that ensues is just uh well done i think also from the color of the 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 bar like the mm-hmm. design of it it's really cool i wish we see more things like this in star wars yeah it's subtly one of the better um it's one of the better like moss Eisley cantina scene like replacements in all of star wars in son of or imitations not replacements yeah very very 50s though going back to things that shaped star wars yeah yeah um cool i think that's it so chris um you have now officially finished your first full season of um well semi-full season of the clone wars um now that we've watched all of season two what do you think about the whole season like looking back at the first half and the second half together I would say it definitely has way more better moments and episodes than the what we've seen in the first season. And I'm sure there were some stinkers in there as well, but overall I'm very excited to watch the third season now. I think it there are a lot of characters it has introduced or elaborated on that I'm looking forward to seeing in the future, a lot of plot threads that i'm curious about so i think that's i mean and what more can you ask yeah that's true i mean for me it's interesting because it's a lot better than i remember it being Mm -hmm. and i think that's because i don't want to set expectations too high but you know clone wars does get better over time and you kind of think oh the first two seasons are terrible in your head but in going to rewatch, there are actually things that are interesting and good things that happen along with the bad stuff. So it's nice to, as we go back, to think, oh, yeah, there's actually some nice stuff that happened. Um, really, does that a foundation for the future seasons that we are going to get to soon? Yeah, very soon. In fact, in the very next episode. So, Rashad, maybe tell us 
about which episodes we're going to watch. So in our journey through the first half of the season three, we're going to be watching episodes one through seven and then nine through 11. So that should get us through halfway of season three. If you want to get in touch, there are a few ways you can do that. Email. Write us an email to hello at seriallyhooked.com. Website. You can check out our website and suggest future topics at seriallyhooked.com. Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at seriallyhooked. If you like the show, tell a friend or 10, rate us on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference and helps people discover the show. We're doing two recordings? Oh, shit. Oh, you forgot? <laughs> Completely forgot. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, yeah, we can always do that next time. It's fine.